Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading to us. The opening verse of that opening hymn today reminded us there is a period known to God when all his sheep redeemed by blood, shall leave the hateful ways of sin, turn to the fold and enter in. And Mr Kent beautifully captures the true order of salvation as he sets in verse God's love, knowledge, will and goodness at the head of the divine work of grace and then culminating in the conversion experience of each lost sheep of God's little flock. Mr Kent showed us that God knows the time, the place and the circumstances of the conversion of all of his people because he has planned and ordered every step along the way. Every step by which Christ's bride is revealed and his church gathered in. God is in control of all the aspects of the lives of his people in this great work of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And there are no surprises for God. Not simply because he foreknows the future, as if he looks forward and sees what's going to happen, but because he holds the future in his hands, steering it, according to his own good pleasure. Just as surely as he controlled the past according to the determinate counsel of his will. Our Lord, the Almighty, all-knowing, all-righteous, all-holy God, purposed, ordered and brings to pass all his will for his own glory.
and long before Mr. Kent wrote his hymn. The prophet Isaiah records the Lord himself saying these words. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Did you hear that? Did you hear what the Lord said there? From the very beginning, God said what the end of all things will be because that was his good pleasure. And he says, my counsel, my plans, my purpose will stand because that's what I want to happen. Now we understand, and I, and I hope you're familiar with the term God's sovereignty after all this time of us sharing fellowship together. But we understand this testimony of God in terms of his sovereignty. God's sovereignty describes God's rule in the world, indeed in the universe, because it's all under his control, whereby all that happens including the salvation of men and women, boys and girls, does so, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 11, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You see what's happened there? The Apostle Paul picks up on Isaiah's words, Quoted from the Lord where he says, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. And Paul says, you know what that means? It means that all these things happen according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, all things after the counsel of his own will. And God's sovereignty and God's rule is taught throughout the scriptures using such biblical words as election and predestination and foreordination and foreknowledge and phrases like perpetual decrees or eternal purpose or determinate counsel or everlasting covenant, heavenly calling. Now I could give you chapter and verse for all of these words and phrases, but for time I'm just going to quote David saying this, Psalm 33 verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And to show us that the church is at the heart and the love of God for the church is at the heart of all God's plans. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show 
unto the heirs of promise, that is, his elect people, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Now, I want us just to realise what the writer to the Hebrews is saying there. It pleases the Lord to teach his church about the sovereignty of God in salvation. The Lord wants us to be speaking about his sovereign grace, about his immutable counsel. It pleases God when we speak about his sovereignty in salvation. So let the advocates of free will and spiritual self-determination protest all they like. The scriptures are clear concerning God's sovereignty and salvation and his dominion in the affairs of nature and providence. We lay no charge for sin with God. And yet we recognise his rule and we acknowledge his control and authority over all things, all people, and at all times in this world. So in today's verses in Ephesians chapter 2, we are taught by the Apostle Paul about the divine work of grace by which God brings his elect people that people that he has set apart, sanctified before the world began, and that people whom are, who, who are redeemed by Christ, that God brings that elect people into the experience of mercy through this quickening or spiritual new birth. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our verses today. Now, the word that is used there, ye hath he quickened, you has he quickened, made alive. That's what that word means. We saw in our little introduction yesterday, the word quick has an old meaning in English. It means alive or animated or lively. And today we mostly think of quick in the sense of fast or speedy. And actually that's where fast and speedy is derived from because it was alive and because it was lively. Um, one place that we do see the older usage still being recognised is in the word quicksand. Quicksand is a mud that seems to be alive so as to suck in or to consume anything that falls into it. Um, a, a word for mercury, which is like a like a silver metal that flows around is quicksilver and and people used to call mercury quicksilver because it was like lively silver um there's another idiom that i thought i would mention to you just so that uh, you you'll remember this maybe the next time you're you're uh, you're clipping your nails um the little idiom 
cut to the quick is a reference to us cutting our fingernails or our toenails too short until we cut into the living part of the nail bed and then we hit a nerve and then we feel pain. So when we think about cutting to the quick, it means we've cut our our nails too short and that means that we've cut into the living part of our nails and that's what quickening means. It means to make alive. So quicken in the sense of living or making alive is an excellent biblical word. And while it's not used much in our everyday language, it is used some, as we've seen, but it's not used much. It nevertheless is an excellent word for what the Lord does in the new birth. It really describes it. It brings a dead soul to spiritual life. God does that. It's a word that we want to retain and a word that we want to be familiar with and to use because it's a powerful and important act of grace. And Paul tells us that God quickened the Ephesians when they were dead in trespasses and sin. And this teaches us some very useful things about God's power and God's initiative in the sinner's life as he brings his elect to glory by first bringing them to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ of forgiveness for sin and by the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing them from all sin. So I've got... This is one of these points, again, in in my thoughts where I need to tell you. I've got three points that I want to leave with you. Don't worry. The rest of my time is divided over these three points. I know when I need to stop. So here are the three points. And uh, the first one is quickening produces a new creation. The next one is quickening brings spiritual occupation. And lastly, Quickening is a lifelong transformation. So we've got a new creation, we've got spiritual occupation, and we've got lifelong transformation. So those are the three headings that I've gathered my thoughts under. Let's get moving through them quickly. That was a pun. Quickening produces a new creation. It's God who quickens, not man. And it ought to be very obvious to men and women that they cannot quicken themselves. What is dead cannot bring itself to life and cannot improve itself in any way. Just a little aside here, actually. I find it quite interesting that just as there has been a growing denial of God's powerful hand in the creation of the physical world, there has been an equally sharp rise in the denial of God's powerful creative work in the soul. Just as scientists have been telling us that that the world evolved over 
billions of years. There has been an equal rise in the number of people telling us that man can make himself alive. Both of those ideas are simply humanism and I'm sure they're connected. If man can evolve to improve himself without God in nature, And now he also is able to do it spiritually when these free will preachers tell us that man's will brings him into newness of life. Then what does he need God for at all? Both of those trends, whether it comes from the world of science or whether it comes from the world of religion, both of those trends deny the need for God and elevate the power of man. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ tells us, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he emphasises the, 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 the difference by, by saying to us, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The, the flesh cannot quicken the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. It needs to be a spiritual enlivening. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. He has newness of life. He's been made alive. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. And yesterday in that little note that I sent out, we noted that this creative work is a work of the triune God, with all three persons of the Godhead actively engaged in this quickening work. And this enhances, surely, this enriches our view of this great quickening work which is at the centre of our experience of God and of his grace. For it shows us the personal involvement, the personal involvement of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. And it gives us cause to praise each divine person for bringing spiritual life and power to bear on our human experience. Because here's the interesting thing, and I'm sure you've gleaned this uh, from what we've said in the past, but everything else about our salvation, our election, our justification, our redemption, it takes place outside of us. It's a transaction between the persons of the Godhead. Long before the benefits of that work are ever applied to our experience. So that quickening is the first spiritual act that enables faith and touches our human experience. 
Such is the Father's love for his people. Such is the Son's love for his people. Such is the Holy Spirit's love for his people that all the divine persons are concerned in the first kiss of life and our first spiritual breath as new creatures in Christ Jesus. So this is the first point that I want to leave with you. Quickening produces a new creation in which God himself in all of his persons engages to bring this experience of grace into the life of his people. Here's the second point. This quickening, this new life brings a spiritual occupation. And this is perhaps an aspect of quickening that we don't always give sufficient attention to. But every time one of the Lord's elect is quickened by God, Satan's goods are spoiled and Satan's kingdom is diminished and depleted because the Lord occupies the conquest that he has made. The church and the kingdom of God on earth is enlarged. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. It is as though the Lord declares, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. And he gathers it and he brings it back home and he brings it back to the fold. When the Saviour defeated death and Satan at the cross, he bound the strong man. Where once our lives were enslaved to sin and to evil, now we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and we are free to serve God. The love of the Father, the Spirit of Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit dwells within the people of God. And our lives are placed under new management. We have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Christ lives in us and we live in him. He is our head. We are his body, the church. God occupies the life of the elect. John 14 verse 20 says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't get disheartened or discouraged or, or we don't feel cold in our hearts or that we don't sin, we aren't tempted. All of these things are true, but that is because the spirit and the flesh coexist together. But Christ rules in our hearts. And that battle and that trial and that trouble is a constant challenge for the church and the Lord's people. Quickening is a gift of grace. And like all God's gifts, it's not 
of the earth, earthy. But, James tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. From this little verse of James, we learn that as God's gifts and callings are without repentance, so they are irresistible. They are unremovable. When Christ comes in and occupies a man's or a woman's heart and soul, he never leaves. Paul is clear on this in Romans 8. It is God's love and purpose to save that established the covenant of grace and the plan of salvation. By placing his people in Christ before the foundation of the world, God the Father ensured our justification in his sight. Christ's death satisfied holiness, paid our debts and assured our glory. Everything is fixed and definite and sure. God has chosen whom he will save and having sent the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish all that was necessary to secure that salvation, he applies his grace effectively, irresistibly by the power of the Holy Spirit to achieve his purpose. So quickening applies God's mercy, and it brings about God's will. Our God doesn't try to save sinners or hope that they will be saved. He doesn't offer salvation and wait to see who amongst the sin-hardened children of men will find his offer sufficiently attractive to accept it. That's, that's so much nonsense. God saves sinners by coming powerfully into our lives. Christ's sheep hear his voice. God's life-infusing word does not return to him void. And finally, quickening is a lifelong transformation. Quickening is a new creation. Quickening is a spiritual occupation as Christ indwells his people and gives us the Holy Spirit. And quickening is a lifelong transformation. Quickening is the enabling act of grace in the life of a dead sinner. It transforms by creating spiritual life and calling forth spiritual experiences. Spiritual experiences. This is our first awareness of spiritual things. We have an awareness of sin that we never had before. We have a sense of spiritual need that was completely foreign and alien to us before that spiritual life was created anew within us. 
we have a desire for forgiveness where once we just happily went on and did the things with very little regret and no remorse. And we discover that we've got faith in Christ. We hear the gospel and we believe it. We might have heard it a hundred times, a thousand times. We might have mocked it. We might have laughed at the preacher. We might have ridiculed the whole notion. And suddenly we hear it and we believe it. What makes that difference? What, what has transformed us but the power of God? The Lord Jesus calls this hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's an experience, a spiritual experience of being hungry for Christ, of being hungry and thirsting after righteousness. He calls it being weary and heavy laden with sin. We weren't weary of sin before this transformation but now we are heavy laden there's a feeling a sense of personal spiritual poverty and we grieve and we mourn for a lack of liveliness towards God and from these first spiritual experiences of need the quickened soul finds a wealth of good in the gospel that is preached to our soul. And the child of God experiences conversion. Quickening is God's means of bringing the experience of grace into the human soul. And God's graces of forgiveness and comfort and happiness are the start of a long supply of gifts and goodness that the Lord freely grants to his people. That is our conversion and the beginning on this new road of life in our experience. Ezekiel tells us how the Lord himself describes it. In Ezekiel 36 verse 26, the Lord describes it like this. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. This is the shalls and the wills that the hymn writer was talking about. The new creation, the new birth is just the start of God's work in the life of his people. Ye, Paul says to the Ephesians, ye are God's workmanship. We begin as children and we grow in grace. We mature from drinking spiritual milk to eating spiritual meat. 
There is a deepening of understanding, a growing dependence upon the Lord, a deepening trust of his wisdom and his ways. And there is an exercise of our faith. Sometimes that isn't pleasant. Sometimes that is grievous. Sometimes it is hard. But God is exercising that new life that he has put within us so that it blossoms and grows and develops. A believer's life is often hard. It is often full of trial. It is engaged in battles against the flesh that God has seen fit to retain in our lives. Nevertheless, the transforming power of God never leaves us because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The union we have with Christ by this new life never ends. It goes on and on and it will last to eternity. Christ grants ongoing supplies of grace in life-giving, soul-quickening, renewing, refreshing power from day to day. That is our that is our daily relationship with the Lord. He keeps giving so long as our need remains. Remember the widow's cruise, how it just kept on giving that oil. By the first quickening effects of God, we are brought into new spiritual life. But our needs, our daily needs, our ongoing needs for fresh supplies of grace, they don't end this side of eternity. And God has ordained it to be so. So Christ supplies new mercies, morning by morning, new mercies I see, to alleviate and to mitigate our helplessness and our frailty in this world. Brothers and sisters, be sure of this. Grace shall be our portion all the days of our lives according to our need, until our flesh succumbs to death. And we are brought home rejoicing to everlasting glory. If you feel a spiritual need, if you feel a need for spiritual help, you are in good company. David the beloved of God, cried nine times in one psalm, Psalm 119, for the ongoing quickening influences of the Lord's Spirit. He said, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. May we all learn to seek such quickening help in Christ. Amen.